0: Welcome to another edition of The Word of God. Today, we are going to move from Pentecost to the season after Pentecost. The season after Pentecost. Now, we've been spending a almost a, year, a half a year from Advent to Pentecost. Advent to Christmas to Epiphany to Lent to Easter. And that's pretty much from December to... June, 1st of June, all right? Five months uh, from January to May, and then you've got December, about six months. So half the year, half the church calendar year, which begins at the end of November or the 1st of December with Advent, is leading us from Advent, before Christ is born, to the coming of the Holy Spirit, which I said last week, Jesus has died here for 40 days, ascended into heaven, They waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which we celebrated last week, last weekend. And now we have the season after Pentecost. Now, the way the prayer book works is that the season after Pentecost in your prayer book is located according to the calendar and the proper number, the proper number. The last proper number is 29. The first proper number depends on when Easter is. Easter makes all the difference in the world from year to year as to how many um, Sundays we'll do Epiphany, how many uh, Sundays we will have for the season of Pentecost. All right. Based on our church calendar for this year, we will be beginning with proper three proper three, okay? Now, we concluded with Pentecost and we will begin this second half of the season, the season after Pentecost, with a Sunday which culminates with Trinity Sunday. Now, what is that? Trinity Sunday is the first Sunday after Pentecost. Now, in the old days, many years ago, They numbered them after Trinity Sunday, but now we do it after Pentecost. So the first Sunday after Pentecost is Trinity Sunday. The second Sunday after Pentecost is the following week, the third Sunday. Now the last Sunday after Pentecost is called Christ the King Sunday. And you may get up to 25, 26, 27. So there's the proper numbers and there's the Sunday after Pentecost. I hope that's not confusing to you. What is important to remember as you're looking at these scriptures for this coming week, ending in Trinity Sunday, is we wanna start with proper three. Okay, so proper three begins with the book of Deuteronomy. And so we'll be studying Deuteronomy for a couple of weeks. Then we go to the New Testament and we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians. You can see how we're going through the Bible. If you, if you do this from week to week to week to week, 52 weeks out of the year, you're going to cover a tremendous amount of scriptures. And number three, we're back to Luke again. All right. So we haven't left Luke yet. We're still in Luke. All right. So we begin with the book of Deuteronomy, which is the in the Pentateuch, which is the fifth book of the Old Testament. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, you've heard me say before, if you've been listening to these podcasts, the book of Deuteronomy is a very important book because it tells us, it tells us, it shares with us what the word of the Lord is to the people of Israel before they go in and take the land that God has promised them. Remember the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now the person that's going to take them in is Joshua and that's the sixth book of the Old Testament. Moses does not take them in. What Moses is doing is he's teaching them before they go in. I love Deuteronomy because it tells us from an Old Testament perspective and from an eternal perspective, if you will, what God wants us to do. So we begin with the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter. That's all we've got to study this week. And he says, Chapter four, verse one. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. Remember, he's going to be teaching them and do them. It's important to do them, not just know them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land. that The Lord, your God, your fathers has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. I don't want you to add to it. I want you to do it that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Okay. Then he goes on to say, now, here's what I'm capable of doing. Here's here's what God is capable of doing. I, God, am capable of doing. I've taught you statutes and rules, verse five, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of them. Keep them and do them. That will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, they're going to be entering into a land that does not support the Lord and does not know the Lord at all. So they can't get carried away with all their false idols and false teachings. So in order for that not to happen, they need to know the word of the Lord and they need to hear what his voice is. They need to hear his word. They need to read his word. They need to be instructed with his word. So the whole chapter four is a beautiful example. It should be taught to all of our children. Beautiful example of what God expects from us. Now you say, well, that was Israel long time ago, 3,500 years ago. Yes, it is. But God's word is eternal. It's still good today. All right. So the fourth chapter, beautiful chapter, great chapter. Now, The fifth chapter, which we read later in the week, is the chapter that has the Ten Commandments. Now, Exodus has the Ten Commandments in the 20th chapter. In the fifth chapter, hear, O Israel, verse one, statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. You shall learn them and be careful to do them. I want you to do them. So in order to learn something, somebody has to give you information. So they need information. The teachers teach the information. The people then learn the information. Then they do the information. This is why Christian education is so vital. It's important to know it. It's important to do it. It's important to receive it. It's important to believe it and act upon it. All right? I'm the Lord your God, verse 6. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Chapter 5, verse 7. There is the first commandment. Now, I believe that every Christian should know the Ten Commandments in order. And where are they? They're in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, which we are studying today. So, read that very carefully, and very slowly. Verse 17 You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, etc. These words that God spoke to all of your assembly of the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added, no more. Those are not ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. God requires that they do them. And in the second half of that, we have more information from the Lord in terms of what he wants from us and who he is. Now remember... God is defining who he is in the text of Scripture. He's also giving us instruction. So there's, foundationally, there's a doctrine, there's a teaching, there's a theology, out, out of which emerges uh, our Christian faith and practice. Then there's, a, like I said, a practice part of it, an ethical part of it. After you know who God is, and later we'll learn, of course, who Christ is, then we're expected to act appropriately and act in a fashion that is commensurate with what God has called us to do. Let's read the last verse, verse 33 of Deuteronomy chapter 5. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord God has commanded you, that you may live. So if you do what he commands, you're going to live. And that it may go well with you. I want you to be blessed. And that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. All right. Do the word of God, read the scriptures, read Deuteronomy particularly. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians, which obviously comes after 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 11. Now, 2 Corinthians is, again, not an easy book to read, uh, but extraordinarily wonderful, very deep theologically, very powerful. This first chapter which you're asked to read, what I'm asked to read in our daily lectionary. Paul tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, the Father of mercies, is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when we are afflicted and when we are not doing well and when we are concerned, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is very good about God taking care of us and comforting us and loving us and being there for us. Paul then begins to share how he wants uh, to deal with the Corinthians, how he wants to come to see them. We have several letters of the Corinthians and um, I love uh, the verse 19 of chapter 1. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is something certainly worth thinking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. Ministers of a new covenant. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Chapter 3, verse 1. Or do we need as some letters of recommendations from you or from you you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all such is the confidence verse four that we have in christ toward god verse seven if the ministry of death carved in leathers of stone came with such glory that the israelites could not gaze at moses face because of its glory which was then, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Again, we're back to a section of the Bible, as we said last week about Hebrews, where we're conjoining, we're pulling together the understanding of the Old Testament in with the new. So when you're reading the, uh, the epistles and even the gospels, it assumes on some level that you have read the Old Testament and know what the Old Testament is about. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a great scripture. I love verse seven though, four seven. Second Corinthians four seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And he talks about being afflicted in every way. So the power that Paul has, the power that you have, the power that I have in Christ, is not the power that we have in and of ourselves, but because we are only jars of clay, but is the power of God working in us. Again, a well-rounded education in the scriptures really employs and uses all the texts of scripture. What you want to do as we go through this daily lectionary together, you want to read all these texts, You want to have some kind of context or understanding of the context so you know what it's about. And then you want to respond to it out of your own personal life. We do not lose heart, he says in 416. Though our outer self is wasting away, we're getting older, we're dying. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. What a wonderful scripture for all of us. That exteriorly as I get older, I'm dying. I'm decaying, as it were. But inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. This light momentarily, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory behind or beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what's important? The things that are unseen. The things that are transient are not important. They're temporal. They have no eternal value. So what we want to focus on in our lives, which are very short, is the eternal word of God and the eternal precepts regarding the word of God. Again, another reason to take seriously the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is the last verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due to For what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Therein lies the judgment of Christ, another scripture that supports that idea. Or that truth, I should say. It's not an idea. It's going to happen. Let's look at Luke 14 through 16 and then we'll finish up with Trinity Sunday. Luke 14, again we are reading the Gospel of Luke. And we are reading it through verse by verse. And we are learning from what Jesus is telling us through the readings that Luke has given us. So we start in fourteen, twenty-two 22 to uh, 35, the cost of discipleship, uh, a teaching that uh, he is giving us. Again, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is sharing parables with us. He's sharing the understanding of parables. He's sharing words uh, that the people need to know. If they don't know these words, they don't know how to act upon these words. So Jesus is this extraordinary teacher. In chapter 15 he's telling the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and I'm sure you've heard of the parable of the prodigal son. So at the end of chapter 14 Jesus is sharing with us again his words and again he shares us a story. Again in 15 he shares a parable with us. Probably the most famous parable of all is the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to review it with you. I'm sure you know it quite well. Again it's one of those fantastic stories that you want to read over and over again. So much to learn about the parable of the prodigal son. In 16, one of the stranger parables is the parable of the dishonest manager. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if you had to look that one up and do a little bit of study on that one because it's pretty strange. The law and the kingdom of God follows that text. And then finally, we are looking at the rich man and Lazarus. So, in Luke this week, lots to think about. No particular miracles, no particular amazing things that Jesus has done. In this section, uh, in Luke fourteen twenty-five to Luke sixteen thirty-one. he is teaching us. Again, he has different methods of teaching us. Uh, you want to learn the context of the teaching. You want to basically understand what the parable like of the parable of the uh, Prodigal son is about. Then we have this parable about the rich man and Lazarus. It might be a parable. It might actually be a true story. What is this story about? What relevance does this story have for my own life? There's some pretty powerful truths that are contained in here. Sometimes it's pretty obvious what the story or the parable means or the teaching is that Jesus gives us. Sometimes we need a little bit of commentary help, as I said to you before. You might have a Bible in, in it that has study notes at the bottom. Sometimes those are very helpful. But for those of you that want to do some significant study, you'll need a little bit more commentary work. Enjoy the readings from Luke. Now, as I said to you at the beginning of this podcast, we are celebrating at the end of the week, Trinity Sunday. Now, I could talk about the Holy Trinity for a very long time and obviously won't. But that's what we're celebrating, this extraordinary theological understanding of the reality of the Holy Trinity. And we have a couple of scriptures that I want to call your attention to. On the eve of Trinity Sunday, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. On the day, we have Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Let me turn to that real quickly. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. And He's talking about the unity of the Spirit in verse three, one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit and bring together the whole body joined together, verse 16, by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit The members of the Holy Trinity are actively engaged in building up the body of Christ. Now this is a very profound teaching, one of the great teachings of Christianity, one of the unique features of Christianity. No other religion in the world has the concept of the Holy Trinity. So this is a a doctrine that you have to get right because it's very unique. Um, So uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 speaks about it and we have interestingly they've chosen John 1 1 to 18 which is the prologue one of my favorite sections in the entire bible the prologue and again we have the mentioning of the father and the son in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God and so the father is God the son is God and we'll see in, with the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is God, all right? And so he's making known to us in John 1, 1 to 18 the fact that the Father is God and the Son is God and we'll later see in John 14 and 16 that the Holy Spirit is God also. So you have the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, all equally God, all equal before one another, having different functions in the Godhead. And as I said earlier, that is a subject that's way beyond our comprehension, actually, and our study for this class, this podcast, but enjoy reading and celebrating Trinity Sunday. When I meet with you again next week, we'll be in the season after Pentecost, and we'll just be going through the dog days of summer, as it will, as it were, and then early fall, uh, till we get to the end of November or 1st of December with the, another season of Advent. So we look forward to continuing our journey together next week. May God bless you and enjoy your readings for proper three.